worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles. I am Donnie, your host. And with me is a man that says, the next time someone tells him to act naturally, he's going to run naked into the woods. It's Dale. That's about as natural as you can get it. That's it. To wear some shoes on, ain't stepping on the briars. Yeah, pine cones. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, that's, that that'd would, be good. That would be rough, wouldn't it? <laughs> briars would be rough running naked anyway. Or if you slip and fall and land on a pine cone with your butt. Pile of posing would be my look. Be rough. Get it all in your nethers. Yep. Right there in your get-go. <laughs> What's going on, man? Oh, ready to do an episode. Oh, I'm glad to be back. Yeah, we took a week off, but we're back in the crack house. Yeah, we're back in the crack. That's it. That's right. You got any shout-outs for us, bud? Uh, I, got a, I got a whole list of mess of stuff here, man. A uh, mess? Yeah, I got a... First, we'd like to give a big shout-out to Magenta Vaughn on uh, Instagram. She made a post the other day listening to all her favorite podcasts, and we made the list. It's that? always good to be on a list. Dang, I'm right. And uh, speaking of lists, I was looking around on our Facebook page a while ago, and I ran across this top fans list. So I figured, what the heck? Might as well give all our top fans a shout out. It's Your kind of a long top list. Fans. So we got like ten fans. So you know, we're gonna give them a shout out. All ten of them. Uh, eight. Eight fans. All right. <laughs> all right. All right. Give, give all of them a shout out. Okay. How about uh, Melinda Perry Henson? Melinda. Yeah. Thank you, Melinda. Lynn Connolly. Thank you, Lynn. Stacy Mustella. Thank you, Stacy. Patty Blair Dover. Thank you, Patty Blair Dover. Chris Knight. You know Chris Knight. Yeah. That's our buddy, Chris Knight. Chris. Thank you, bud. Thinking about you, buddy. Liz Schneider. Liz Schneider. I was kind of thought I messed that up there from Our buddy, Kim Poole. Kim Poole. And Sandy Carlton. Sandy. Sandy, big time. Yeah, he, uh, he's the host of uh, Big Sound Small Town Podcast. That's right. And go check him out. We'll give him a little plug there. Yeah, that's kind of cool. I've never really seen the, the top fan gimmick there. And I said we turned on the badges or something like that or whatever, and all these names popped up. So we appreciate you guys. Appreciate you a bunch. And we want to remind everybody that listens, if we didn't mention your name, please go on to Apple Podcasts and rate and review us. And yeah. click that five-star button. It's a, uh, what do you call it, whatever, Facebook uh Recommendation. Recommendation. Yeah. Yeah, there's that word. Yeah. And it's been a while since I've been here, don't you? And check out the store page, get you a t shirt, get you some kind of merchandise, represent the crack house. Yeah, Photoshop yourself with it or something. Send us, send us a picture, we'll uh, we'll put it on there for you. We'll put it on our social media. <laughs> All right. Then we're gonna get into our episode, man. Yeah, this is kinda cool, Donnie, because you know, we kinda got fell back into this record collecting thing, man. Oh yeah. I've been into it, yeah, you know, probably a year or two years and Man, you got me back into it. Yeah, we are massing a little collection, and you Spit. just this little episode popped in your head the other week, and said maybe we should cover it. So. And spinning some records. Yeah, man, that's ain't nothing like it is. Oh, it is, man. I, it's, I think it's... I got about four hundred something now. Oh so. man, <laughs> I know it's a lot. That's not a lot for some people, but it's it's 
It's getting there. That's it. But our case this week is called the Hi-Fi Murders. Yeah. And it took place in Ogden, Utah on April the 22nd, 1974. You're right. And, and this, uh, this episode ain't near as fun as spinning records, but it's going to be a good episode. Yep. And the Hi-Fi store was located at 2323 Washington Boulevard. And like I said, that was in Ogden, Utah. Now, this place was like uh, they sold stereo equipment and records and eight tracks, I assume. And reel to reels. So, this would be pre cassette, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I would assume they had eight track. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. All the groovy deals. Oh, yeah. That's some eight tracks. Yep. Now, at the time of this murder, Dale, there were two employees working. Right. Uh, Stanley Walker, who was age 20, and Michelle Ansley, who was 18. And I'm, everything I've read, I've heard Stanley was kind of like the the manager there that night. It was going to be closing up. Right. And Michelle, she had just started working there. Yeah, about a week previous yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she was engaged to be married. Yeah, I think she had told her, her mom the night before, actually, that she was engaged. And she was all ecstatic about that. But they were working this night, and I think they were filling in for some people. Yeah, both of them. So, really, neither one of them was supposed to be here this night. Yeah, they were just filling in and working that night. But I think the store was closing around 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are photos of this shop online, but I don't think it's the shop from Ogden, Utah. Oh, so, it's a chain or something, you think? I don't know if it's just a chain or just another. Or a couple links. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A couple links. <laughs> but I'm going to assume this store was maybe... Maybe uptown Ogden on a busy street or something. Right. Yeah, we saw one photo, but it, I don't know, like you said, I don't know if it was this store. I, I was wondering if it was like a standalone building or if it was part of a strip mall. And it looked, the photo I saw now, like you said, don't know if it's the correct location or whatever, but it was like just between a bunch of stores, like on a main street or something. Yeah, where the buildings are all connected together. Yeah. I'm going to assume that's probably what it was. Right. Yeah. But like I said, Stanley and Michelle were closing up that night about 7 o'clock when two men came into the store. Yep. Uh, brandishing handguns. And they forced Stanley and Michelle to the basement of the building. Right. And they tied them up and they were going to, they told them they were going to rob the store. Right. And the rest of them began robbing the store. Right. It's really unknown exactly how many perpetrators there were. It's uh, somewhere between three and six. Yes. But, you know, the two two main guys that went in with the guns and then uh, a getaway driver, and then there are talk of maybe it, three more in another van. Yeah. No, we don't really know. We're going to give more details on here in just a yeah. Correct. Now, just a little bit later, I don't know how long it was they were in the basement, but just a little bit later, there was a 16-year-old boy named Courtney Nesbitt. Uh, he showed up at the hi-fi shop. Yeah. And he just walked in to thank Stanley for allowing him to park in the parking lot. Right. I think he had some stuff to do there around, <clears throat> around the area. Areas around town or something. Yeah, and uh, they allowed him to park in their parking lot. So he was just being a nice kid just to thank him for letting him park his car in the parking lot. Mm, bad time to be nice. Yeah, but when he went in, they forced him into the basement too. Right. And tied him up. Tied him up also. And I guess some time passed. They were robbing the store. If, the, if there were others, they were upstairs taking equipment out. Yeah. Yeah, but some time passed. And just a little bit later, Oren Walker came in. 
This was Stanley Walker's 43-year-old father. Right. And yeah, he knew that the store was supposed to close around 7. And I think this is pushing 9 o'clock about now. And yeah. He was wondering why he hadn't made it home yet, so he rode down to the hi-fi shop to, yep. to check on him. I think he walked in a little bit, and there was nobody there. He was walking around the store. Right, yeah, and trying to figure out what was going on. And then he went in. By the time he went over to the to the door to the basement, the door came open, and the guy came out with a gun. Yeah, forced him to the basement. Forced him to the basement as well, yeah. yeah. You know, I never could understand why they didn't lock the door. Yeah, it don't make sense, does it? Mm-mm. I guess because they're going in and out carrying equipment. Could be. You know. Now, I did hear that there was actually a back door to the to the store, but maybe they didn't know that. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe didn't care. No, maybe didn't. But, you know, I'm sure they were, they were carrying stuff in and out the door, so that's probably why they could lock it. But you'd think, well, I don't know. I was going to say, you could think if somebody walked up, you'd see people carrying stuff out, but maybe they just thought they made a, a hell of a purchase. But if they had two different vans, maybe they had to park where they could get to the vans. Right. And get the equipment out quicker. True. So, you know, it's, it's just hard to say why they did what they did. But yeah, so much unknown about this story. It is. But now just a little bit later on, Carol Naismith shows up. Which is Courtney's mom. Yeah. The little boy come by to, to thank him for parking his car. Yeah. Looking for her son. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. And yeah. they forced her to the basement and tied her up. So they're getting a pile of people in the basement. Yeah, they had five people now held hostage in the basement. Now, these two men that were holding these people hostage, their names were Dale Pierce Selby and William Andrews. Right. Selby was born on January the 21st, 1953 in Trinidad. And William Andrews was born in 1955 in Jonesboro, Louisiana. And they belonged to the United States Air Force. And they were stationed there at Hill Air Force Base. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because I think he was born in Trinidad, but he moved to the Brooklyn? He moved to New York. Yeah. So he was born in Trinidad, and he moved to New York when he was fairly young. And then when he joined in the Air Force, they were stationed there and that's where these two met but now they had these five people tied up in the basement and selby told andrews to go get something from the van so you think here now this is where kind of things take a turn for the worse for the for the hostages yeah so i wonder at what point i mean do you i mean when it just goes where we're just going to tie, tie them up and rob them until we're not going to leave any witnesses you think that's what it is, or do you think they went there with ill intentions to begin with? I think they went there with ill intentions because yeah. we're going to talk about that a little bit later too. Right? Yeah. When they uh, these guys get found out about, found out about, found out about. But just a little bit later, uh, Selby told Andrews to go to their van and get something, and Andrews returned back with just a little bit later with a bottle and a brown paper bag. Right, and. Uh, which uh, Selby poured a cup of blue liquid, and Selby ordered Oren, Oren Walker, that was Stanley's dad, the one that worked at the shop, to give the liquid to the other hostages, Dale. So it made him do it? Yeah, he made him do it. But he refused. Oh. And was bound and gagged, and they left him face down on the basement floor. Hmm. Now, the two men, they propped each of the victims up, and you know, like in a sitting position, and forced them to drink the liquid. And they told them that it was a vodka-laced drink with a—I've uh, heard it even a German uh, sleeping pill or, or some kind of sleeping pill. Yeah, basically telling me it was some kind of concoction that was going to knock them all out. 
And then once once they were knocked out, they were they were going to just rob the store and leave. And then they would wake up and everything would be and fine. And somebody would find them, and then they would be free. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but that didn't that wasn't a plan. It wasn't a plan. They lied, didn't they? But rather than this being a vodka drink, Dale, this was liquid Drano. Yeah. Hot on, Marty. And when they just Im- immediately drank it, it started causing blisters on their lips, burning their tongues and throats, and peeled away the flesh around their mouths. Oh, I'm sure. Be like drinking battery acid. Yeah. I can't imagine. I, and the. You know, just burn all the way. I mean, like burn all the way through. Yeah. The cup, they. I wonder about the cup they've served it in. You know, would it, if it didn't eat through the cup. Well, I guess it'd be. I guess it depends on what kind it was. But. Right, yeah. I guess it'd be whatever, like whatever the bottle's made out of. Yeah. Plastic. Plastic, some kind of. Yeah. Yeah. But everybody was begging for the life. Even uh, Sherry Ansley was begging for her life, and she was forced to drink the Drano, too. According to Oren Walker, later on, she coughed less than the other victims. Hmm. I don't know why. I wonder if maybe they didn't give her as much. Could have. But the Drano wasn't having the effect that they thought. Right. Because they had thought that they would drink Drano and it would immediately immediately kill him right so they give him to everybody but Orrin was last right yes so when they give it to him he kind of tried to fake it because yeah, he already heard the other ones screaming and you know, so he knew this was not what they told him. he heard them coughing and gagging and puking right so he just did it but he still it still got him now don't get me wrong but he just didn't drink it he just kind of let it run out of his mouth so it was all over his everywhere with him you know yeah so, so he's still burning the shit out of him yeah right pretty much mimicking their reactions yes, yes. yes and the one guy selby he became angry because the deaths were taking too long right and they were too loud and too messy yeah and then it was reported that they tried to make them take a second dose mm-hmm. so i don't know it, there's a lot of two two-way stories in this but it said try to make them take a, a second dose and then still wasn't doing what they wanted to do so they tried to duct tape duct tape their mouth shut but it wouldn't stick because of the they had no flesh on their mouth oh yeah all the blist, blisters and God, the tape wouldn't stick. I can't imagine, Dale. Hot almighty. And it was just about this time, maybe just a little bit later, that Dale Selby took Sherry Ansley to a far corner of the basement. Yep. And he forced her at gunpoint to remove all her clothes, and he repeatedly and brutally raped her. Yep. Real bad. And they, I've heard anywhere it lasted anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah. And... When she was done, he allowed her to use the restroom while he watched. And then he dragged her back naked to the other hostages and threw her on her face. And then when he threw her down, he fatally shot her in the back of the head. Yep. Yeah, I just thought this Drano stuff was was not working like he did. And everybody was getting too loud and too messy, so he just decided to start shooting them. Yep. So he shoots her in the back of the head. And then... Yeah, he shot uh, Carol Naisbitt. Yep. He shot her in the back of the head. Yep. And then he shot Courtney, the 16-year-old. Right. So then he shot Oren Walker. He shot Oren, but... But something happened. The shot missed his head or he grazed the side of his head. Grazed or something, yeah. yeah. And he laid there like he was... He was smart. Yeah. He he played dead as much as he could, and then he tried to, to not get any of that corrosive stuff on him as much as he could. So he was doing everything he could to, to stay alive here. Yeah. And then once they shot him, you know, and he went down, they went over and shot Stanley. Yep. But they was checking all the victims. I guess they left and they came back and they were checking the victims and they seen that Oren was still alive. Yeah. He came back and checked for a pulse. 
Yeah, and he tried choking him yep. with a wire. Put a wire around his neck and tried to choke him. And Oren said he, he flexed his neck muscles or something. Yeah. Expanded them, tried to to be able to breathe. And he even convinced them that he was dead Right after that. And then they, they came back. I think they went upstairs to do some stuff. You know, probably finished up loading some stuff in. And then uh, they came back down to check him again. But this time he brought a flashlight. Yeah. Yeah. And checked for a pulse again. And you can't hide that. No, you can't hide a pulse. And there was an ink pen laying there. Yep. And he grabbed the ink pen and shoved it into Oren's ear. Yeah. And then stomped on it. Started stomping it. Yep. Until it punctured his eardrum and it broke and actually exited the side of his throat. I mean, it could have went into his brain, but it went out through his throat. Yeah, and I'm thinking that's what he thought happened. Yeah. So after this, he just didn't, he didn't even, once the, God almighty, I can't even think about that. <laughs> once that ink pen was driven into his head, he just figured that was good enough and they left. Yeah. Left him for dead. Yep. Now, some time passed, but I think it was almost three hours later, they were found. This was when Oren's wife and other son came to the store looking for him. Right. And then this is another part of the story that is, uh, two or three different versions were are, are out there. And then one of them, like you said, they came and uh, one said that uh, his son actually had heard some sounds coming and went and either knocked the door down or knocked the basement door down and went in and found him. Yeah. And then there was this one where the wife actually found him. And then the third was that Oren had actually crawled out of the back door of the basement and into the parking lot and somebody had saw him and mm-hmm. called called the police. But it was reported that the... Oren's wife and the other son showed up at about the same time the police did. Right. So, so then that would tell you that he crawled out. I would mm-hmm. think, you know, and somebody seen him and they didn't really know what was going on, but they seen a the man in the parking lot look as in, he was in distress. So the, they called the police. Now it was just hours after this crime broke Dale, that there was an anonymous air force employee called the Ogden police. And they told them that Andrews, this William Andrews had confided in him months earlier. And he even said, and he told him that one of these days, I'm going to rob that hi-fi shop, and if anybody gets in my way, I'm going to kill them. Yep. Hmm. That's pretty pretty damning right there. Yeah. You know, and, and with Orrin being able to tell him, you know, give him a description and what happened. He was know. pretty alert from... Yeah, even though all this happened. I mean, can you imagine? you got an ink pen jammed, stomped in your head, you know, mid-made Drano and been shot in the head. Yeah. And still being able to, to survive. Mm-hmm. But now let's just talk uh, just a little bit about the victims uh, just one more time. Now, Sherry Michelle Ansley, she, like I said, she was 18. She was employed at the hi-fi shop, and she was just hired a week before the murders. Mm. And she just come, got engaged, and she was raped and shot by uh, Pierre Del Selby. Yeah, while taking somebody else's shift. Yes. Can you imagine who... The person that she took her shift, you know, they feel guilty as hell. You got that right, man. I, I, yeah, I wouldn't have been. I don't know how I'd have been. I, I, I'd have had some counseling or something, man. Yeah. Uh, Stanley Oren Walker. Now he was the, I guess, in charge that day. He was twenty, and he was shot by uh, Pierre Del Selby. And Carol Elaine Nesbitt. She was fifty-two, and she was the mother of uh, Courtney. And she died at the hospital after being shot by. Yeah, when they got there, she was still alive, but she didn't live very long. No, she didn't. The other ones were dead on arrival. But now, uh, Courtney, the 16-year-old, and Oren, the 43-year-old father of Stanley Walker, the one that got killed, they survived. Yeah. 
and we're going to talk about them just a little bit later too right but now after this uh phone call came in there was a another call made about the same time there were two boys that were dumpster diving near hill air force base right i guess they were just looking for junk or whatever I don't know. I guess. Uh, yeah, they were just searching, looking in the dumpsters. I guess uh, kids look for bottles and things to yeah, sell. Yeah, that's what they were looking for. I think so. Especially back then. We yep. used to do that ourselves. But they were dumpster diving and they found uh, the victims' wallets, purses, and driver's licenses. Some other stuff, yeah. Yeah, some other stuff that belonged to these victims. Now, the detective, Dale, who responded to this scene, and he, he was a smart dude. Yep. Very, very smart. And believing that the killers might show up and be in the crowd. Yeah, because by the time they got there, there was a big crowd, you know, mostly airmen and stuff around that dumpster waiting to see what what they found. Yeah, he got to putting on a show. And he got to talking dramatically, and he would pull out each article he found out of that dumpster. I think he had some long forceps or yeah, something or yeah. some kind of – and he would make a big show of it. Yeah, and he was watching the crowd for a reaction. Oh, yeah. Smart. And most of them were just standing there watching. Yeah, in silence. But Selby and Andrews, they were acting pretty suspicious. Yeah. Walking around and... Talking loudly and flipping out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, flipping out. So this gave them probable cause to get a search warrant for them boys. Right. And they got the search warrant and they searched their barracks. Well, and also, um, you know, Selby had a little bit of a history where... You know, there was a murder of another airman, and he had always been the top suspect, but they couldn't ever pin it on him. Yeah. And uh, something had happened where this guy and, and Selby knew each other, and then um, one day this guy's keys just disappeared. And uh, I think it was a break-in or something. I know he, he got his keys, and then he come and helped him look for his keys another day, and all of a sudden they show up. Anyway, they had some history, and uh, something happened between the two, and this guy had been killed. Um, somebody had put a pillow over his face and stabbed him in the face with a bayonet. Mm -hmm. And not just once, it was several times enough to where the bayonet had went all the way through and actually the hilt of the bayonet had crushed a place in the front of the skull. So mm -hmm. it was some serious stabbing. But they always thought he'd done it, but they could never pin it on him. So once they saw that who that was, I'm sure it was easier for them to go, well, we need to check this guy out. Yeah. And when they searched their barracks, they found a ad. Yeah, a flyer. A flyer for the hi-fi shop. For the hi-fi shop. Which in itself is not really damning, but, you know. It's pretty, pretty damning. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but then what they really found was a, a rental agreement for a storage locker. That happened to be like a block away from the hi-fi hi shop. shop. yes. And I think they found it under the carpet. Yeah. Peeled away the carpet. They peeled the carpet back and it was in, in there, yeah. Yeah. And why you keep it, I don't know. Why would you just get rid of it? Exactly. Instead of hiding the carpet. Yeah, but they did go to the, the storage locker, and they did find a, a boatload of... Yeah, high-fi equipment. With uh, serial numbers, they did say that that was the stuff did. that came from the store. And I think they got away with like $28,000 worth of stuff, and by today's money, that's close to $100,000. Golly. So that's a lot of stuff. That's probably why they had to have two vans, I guess. Yeah. And uh, like I said, there was probably other people involved. Yeah. But the other man that was involved with him, his name was Keith Leon Roberts. And he was a getaway driver. Yeah. He yeah. never went in. He just stayed in the van. He just stayed outside the whole time. Right. So he didn't really know of anything that went on inside the store while they were there. Right. Now, Selby and Andrews and Roberts, they all went to trial. It was a, it was a joint trial for all three of them. 
They didn't try them separately, Dale. Mm-hmm. That's kind of weird. Isn't it? Yeah, very, very weird. But they tried all three for first-degree murder and robbery. And this began on October 15, 1974. So the same year. It was in Farmington, Utah. Yeah, they had to move to trial because of you know, all publicity the publicity and everything. Yeah. It was actually in Davis County. Now, on November the 16th, 1974, this was just a month later, <laughs> um, Pierre Dale Selby and William Andrews were convicted on all charges, murder and robbery. Mm. And Roberts, he was convicted only of robbery. Right. And four days later, Selby and Andrews were sentenced to death. Man, they sped that trial up. They made, they put a drive through in for them, didn't yeah. they? And Roberts, the getaway driver, was sentenced to imprisonment and paroled in 1987. Yeah, I think it gave him five years to life. And then what was he spent? 12? Yeah, 12, 12 to 15 years. Something like that. But then after he got out, I think he, he had been such a, uh, a help and such a, a good prisoner, I guess, for lack of a better word. Even his parole was uh, deemed just to be called in. He didn't even have to show up. Didn't he turn himself in? Yeah, he did. He did? Yeah. Because they didn't have him, you know, they just had the other two, and he turned himself in. Yep. But there were two vans, and that leads me to believe that there were other men involved. Yeah, there had to be. Yeah. Well, I guess don't have to be, but. but they, weren't in, they weren't in the basement. It was right. only two, the Selby and Andrews that right. were in the basement. Done the done all the bad shit. Yeah, exactly. But now, during the trial, it was revealed that uh, Selby and Andrews had robbed the store with the intentions of killing anyone that came across and in the months prior to the robbery, had been looking for a way to commit the murders quietly and cleanly. Now, Dale, this is weird, too. It was reportedly that they watched a movie called Magnum Force. That's Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Yeah, Dirty Harry movie. Yep, it came out in 1973, in which a prostitute played by Margaret Avery is forced to drink Drano and then shown dropping dead immediately right and i watched this clip today and yeah the guy um i guess it's like a pimp or whatever they're in the back seat and he's saying that you know you didn't give me all the money or whatever they were arguing over and anyway he found out that she was holding money back on him and then he just pinned her down and made sure drink drano and she just kind of flops once or twice and she's dead dead on the spot yeah yeah but it didn't it didn't go down like i thought no Mm-mm. it's a whole lot different between drinking that on TV and you're playing dead and when this stuff's like battery acid and yeah, that e- was, eating your face off. That's definitely TV. But they uh, did decide that this would be the most effective way to murder and and decide to use it in a crime. Day. Right. So, and that tells me that they brought it with them. So it's all premeditated. Yep. You know, all this. Man. There is one interview with uh, Selby where he says he went into the bathroom there at the high five shop and found the Drano. I don't believe that. But, yeah, they, I'm pretty sure they brought it with them. Yeah. Well, for right here, if, he's in, if they watched the movie, he didn't just happen to go in the bathroom and go, oh, look, this is just like that movie. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. This will be quick. Yeah. Now, Survivor Orrin Walker, he was a star witness for the prosecution. But Courtney Nesbitt, he was unable to testify. He had amnesia after the whole thing. Right. And Courtney, he spent... A considerable amount of time in the hospital, Dale. Yeah. Recovering. Yeah, he had a bad time. I think he was he, in there for 266 days before he was ever coming out. And yeah. He had tons of surgeries and stuff from all this, from all the damage. Yeah. And he is nothing like he was before. Before, he was a, a he was pretty really smart bright. kid. Yeah, yeah, really bright, yeah. Yeah. He had 16, he got his pilot license, and he had uh, 
Bruce Marquette, he was in the computers back then, which the computers were cutting age in 74, but, you know, he was into all that stuff. And right. Even his teachers had reported that he, he was... They knew he was destined for great things. He could have been anything he wanted to be. Right. But now, there was a... Uh, the official police report stated that six black men driving two fans committed the robbery. And Roberts and another man remained in the vehicles. And two other loaded vans while... Dale Selby and William Andrews tortured and killed the victims. And the detectives only had enough evidence to convict uh, Selby and Andrews and Roberts. Right. So pretty much you think that Selby was the the muscle and the, the he, notorious one and uh, Andrews was basically the brains behind the whole deal. Yeah, he was the... But, you know, he said, you know, he just couldn't... When they started talking about killing him, he, he couldn't do it. He wasn't going to be the one to do it, but... I think he says a lot of stuff just to try to make himself look better. Yeah. When he was, you know, in the later uh, interviews and stuff after he was already convicted. Mm-hmm. Now, just a little bit more about the killers, Dale. Dale Pierre Selby, he was born on January 21st, 1953. And like I said, he was sentenced to death and he was, his sentence was carried out on August 28th, 1987. Yeah. You know, when they first sentenced him to death, they gave him a choice whether they wanted to be hung or if they wanted to be firing squad. Oh, yeah. And uh, that was crazy. But by the time they actually carried it out, it was a lethal injection, but I thought that was pretty wild. Mm-hmm. I mean, hell, that's what, 74 or nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Firing squad. But Selby was 21 years old at the time of the crime. 21. And he was in the U.S. Air Force at Hill Air Force Base as a helicopter mechanic. Right. Along with William Andrews. They were both helicopter mechanics. So, you know, he had some kind of smarts about him. He had to have something, yeah. yeah skills. And Keith Leon Roberts, the getaway driver, the court found him, he was 19 at the time, that he had no role or knowledge of the murders, but he was convicted on two counts of aggravated, aggravated robbery and sentenced to five years to life. So were they all three airmen? Yes. Hmm. And, but like I said, he, he spent uh, almost 13 years in prison. Yeah. And then moved to Chandler, Oklahoma to live with relatives. But he passed away on August the 8th, 1992. So they're all dead now. Yep. But Selby... Like I said, he was um, executed by lethal injection on August 28, 1987, at the age of 34. And at the time of his death, he bequeathed all of his money, which was 29 bucks, $29. to William Andrews. Yep. Now, William Andrews, he was executed by lethal injection on July 30th, 1992, at the age of 37, and after spending 18 years on death row. And at the time of his execution... His last words were, he wanted to thank those who tried to keep him alive, and I hope they continue to fight for equal justice after I'm gone, and tell my family goodbye, and I love them. Because, Dale, during this time, there was a lot of racial tensions over this in Utah. Yep. The NAACP got involved, Amnesty International, and they campaigned to commute their death sentences, especially William Andrews, because he didn't kill anybody. He was in the basement with them, but he didn't didn't pull a trigger or anything. So, but he did get the death penalty for being a part of that. Right. And I think he should have. Yep. Just to uh, finish this up a little bit, Dale, the FBI, they train trainees at the FBI Academy in Quantico, Virginia, about this case. Right. A lot of it. And it's also included as a sample case in the FBI's crime classification manual, you know, for hostage situations. Right. And it's also... The experiences of Courtney Nesbitt and his family became the basis of Gary Kinder's book called 
victim, The Other Side of Murder, which came out in 1982. Yeah, I think it's a side note about that. Originally, he was going to write the book on uh, Selby. And uh, he had had many, many meetings with him. And then when uh, Selby found out that he wasn't going to get 10% of all the sales, he shut it down. Yeah. So he decided to do it on uh, the victim instead, which is probably better off. It's better off. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Uh, The Hi-Fi Murders are also the basis for a CBS television movie called Aftermath, A Test for Love, which came out in 1991, starring Richard Chamberlain and Michael Learned. And she was the mama from The Walton. That's right. Good night, John Boy. Yep. Good night, Mary Ellen. <laughs> that was good stuff, man. Oh, yeah. But like I said, this uh, caused a lot of racial tensions in Utah at the time. It did. And the NAACP and a lot of, you know, Amnesty International and Al came in to, to try to get these sentences overturned. And a lot of them thought Andrew shouldn't have got the death penalty because he didn't kill anybody or he didn't pull the trigger or anything. But I don't know, man. Uh, the way I look at it, he was, he was just as much part of it as the other guy. He had every chance in the world to leave, to he not do it. He, he could have he could have walked out. He could have stopped him. He could have, I don't know. Yeah, he could have just left. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. But it was even reported there during that time that any black man driving up and down Washington Street there would just get pulled over. Yeah, I don't know about that. But, but yeah, I'm sure it wasn't good. No, it was pretty, pretty bad. Yeah, and I, I'm not for none, any of that stuff. But, I'm, but as far as this... For this one particular guy, I think he got what he deserved. I think he was the brains of this thing. Like you said, that other guy said that he he was the one that told him that they would kill anybody that got in their way when they went. I think they went there with intentions to kill people. Now, whether when they got there he couldn't do it and change his mind, then maybe he did. I don't mm-hmm. know. But he didn't do anything to stop it. I mean, hell, he was he was in on them to feeding these people torture, Drano, and, you know, all that mess. But, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just... Sorry, you do the crime, do the time. Exactly. All right, Dale, that is the Hi-Fi Murders. Hi-Fi Murders. Yep. Well, we started off fun with records and stuff and ended up with Drano and Ink Band, so it was pretty rough. Yep. But it was it's a good story. I had never heard of it before. Glad mm-hmm. you brought it up. But, uh, yeah, so what do you guys think about that one? <laughs> so. Yeah. All right, then. All right. We are going to get out of here, Dale. All right, let's do it. We want everyone to be safe. Be careful and always be aware of your surroundings. Because the next episode could be about you. This is The The Crack Crack House Chronicles. Chronicles.